go to this morning's message. This is a, it's a familiar portion of scripture. I'm sure you've, somebody has shared this with you somewhere along the line, or at least you've read it for yourself. This is a, this is a portion of scripture where you really need to take pictures. Remember, we read the Bible slowly. We take pictures. We ask questions. We read between the lines. We look for attitude. Oh, we'll find attitude. And we dig with our spiritual trowel to get the truths until we're seeing these wonderful truths. Amen? Okay, so let's go to John chapter 5. I'm going to read the first 17 verses and give you the whole uh, uh, complex of what's going on, and then we'll break it down, okay? John chapter 5, verse 1 through 17, and the title of this message is, Answer the Question, Please. After these things, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porticos, those are porches. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered, waiting for the moving of the waters. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water, and whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in, was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. Are you getting a picture? A man was there who had been ill for 38 years. That's as old as I am. Don't you laugh. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he was already been there a long time in that condition, he said to him, do you wish to get well? The man answered him and said, sir, listen, listen, sir, I have no man to put me into the water when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, oh, you poor boy. Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. Immediately the man became well, picked up his pallet, and began to walk. Now, it was the Sabbath on that day. So the Jews were saying to the man who was cured, it is the Sabbath, it is not permissible for you to carry your pallet. But he answered them, he who made me well was the one who said to me, pick up my pallet and walk. They asked him, who is this man who said to you, pick up your pallet and walk? But the man was, who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said, behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. I love that verse. But he answered them, my father is working until now and I myself am working. Well, answer the question. We're finding out here that this pool uh, by Bethesda Bethesda means the house of mercy, verses two, uh, 2 through 4. We've got these five porches by this big, beautiful pool. 
And those porches are to house, to help people who are ill. They need some kind of covering, some kind of protection. So they've built this thing, and people would come there, and they'd sit there or lie there or do whatever they want, waiting for help because they needed something in their bodies. They needed something physically. They were sick, and the sickness was of all kinds. Five porches, five shelters, people waiting for help. I have a question. You know I have questions. You recognize anybody in those porches? Are they all strangers to you? Or maybe you know one or two who need help? And they're looking for someone to help and we just keep walking right on by like everything's fine. There's a purpose for this scripture. There's a reason these people, there's a reason there's covering, okay? They, they need help. They need, they need someone to get them to, to the point where they're going to be better than they are right now. There's a multitude around us, New Hope. There's a multitude around us, and the need is great. Do we see the need as a church? Are we aware of what's going on next door, our neighbor? Are we aware of what's going on downtown or whatever goes on around in this neighborhood? Are we aware of the hurting people? that we bump into almost every day, are we aware that they need someone just to say, you know what, can I just say a good word to you? Can I, can I tell you that Jesus loves you? And the guy or gal will look at you like, Jesus loves me? I'm a no good. Yeah, Jesus still loves you. We'll get there. Are we aware of the need that surrounds us? Verse 3 is really a kind of a superstition. They're waiting for an angel to come. In fact, some of the manuscripts don't show this. But the superstition was, when the angel comes and stirs the water, if I get to that just after he stirs it and jump in, I'm going to be made whole. Now, it is a superstition. But I want you to look at it. Because people are relying on that superstition. What are we relying on? What's our basis for our, what is our foundation for what we believe? Are we standing on a foundation or are we standing on superstition? Who are you serving, Jesus or superstition? They're waiting for that rippling of the water. They're looking for that angel. Some angel's going to come and stir the water. And if I get there before you get there, Gary, I'm going to be made whole. And if you don't get there before I get there, too bad. What kind of, what kind of a life is that? And what kind, of an, what kind of an offer is that to your neighbor who needs desperately to know about Jesus? Is our faith based on superstition or is our faith based on the word of God? Verse 5, there's a guy here lying by the pool. And the scripture says in verse 5, that he's been sick for 38 years. Now, it doesn't tell us how old he is. He, I'm sure he's older than that. But it does specifically say he's been sick for 38 years. 
I, I, I can't even begin to imagine what this man's going through. I can't. I really can't. And, and I'm, I'm hoping that none of you can either. I'm hoping none of you have been ever, ever sick that long. Okay? 38 years this man has been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And people come by and kind of look at him and go, hey, how you doing? And, uh, you know. He's hanging out waiting for the water to be stirred. And in verse 6, Jesus comes along. He's got his regular position. He's lying there. He's hoping somebody's going to help him. And Jesus comes along, sees him there, <clears throat> already knows what his condition is. God knows what you're going through right now. Somebody say amen. God knows the heartache you're feeling right now and why you're feeling it. Jesus didn't ask around and say, what about this man? What's he like? He didn't have to. He knew. I need you to see this. I need you to feel this. The Bible says that God knows the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. He knows what you are going through. He knows who you are. He knows why you are, where you are, and what got you there. He saw him lying there. He knows he's been sick for a long time. <clears throat> and Jesus says to him, do you want to get well? I mean, come on. Jesus knows what his condition is. Why is Jesus getting so personal? Is that a decent question? You really want to get well? Or are you happy right where you are? Are you so accustomed to being sick whatever that refers to, or would you like to get out of that situation? He gets personal. Do you want to get well? <clears throat> are you happy where you are in life, or would you like to see a change, a necessary change? What do you, he's asking him, what do you want? And I'm asking us today as Christians, what do we want from God what do we want to give to God? What do we want to share? What does God want us to share? What does God want us to be like? Does he want us to be sitting by that pool for 38 years wondering whether someone's going to help us when he is big enough to touch you, to touch me, give us the strengths that we need and the wisdom that we need to touch that sick person right next door to you? Are you happy where you are? Is change necessary? Do you really want change? See, that's really the question. I've run into a lot of people in my life as a minister, and you do that. I ran into a guy in Florida years ago, years and years and years ago. And he was... Uh, Good man, loved the Lord, came to church all the time. And somebody was asking him about the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he says, you know, well, Jesus knows where I am. If he wants to do that to me, he can do that. I'm sorry. Is that what it says in the Bible? What do you need from God? It isn't, well, Jesus, you know where I am, so if you want to do something for me, go ahead and do it. No, you search for what God's will is for your life. You figure out what the change needs to be. Jesus got personal 
with this guy. He knew this guy needed change, but he wasn't sure that the guy wanted change. And look what verse 7 says. Unbelievable. Jesus Christ is standing right there, Gary, and this guy is sick, and Jesus says, do you want to get well? And the guy said, you know what? I've got a problem. I can't answer your question directly because I've got a real problem. You know what my problem is? My problem is I feel sorry for myself. Do you know why I feel sorry for myself? Because every time the pool gets shaken by somebody, I can't get there. Nobody wants to help me get off of my bench, get off of my stool, get off of my pallet. Nobody wants to help me. Nobody wants to get me down. Nobody wants me to be better than I am. That's not what Jesus asked him. Jesus didn't ask him, how sorry do you feel for yourself? Jesus didn't ask him about why he had such self-pity. Jesus didn't ask him why he had such excuses for failures in his life. Jesus asked a specific question. Jesus didn't care about his past. Jesus is standing right here. He's standing by you. He's standing by me. And he's asking us a question. Do you want to change? Don't tell him you got nobody to help you. Don't tell him you can't get to the water because somebody jumps in ahead of you. That's not what he asked. <laughs> he really, really shows that self-pity that he has. I, don't you feel bad for me? Come on, come on. Sim, you got to feel bad for me, Sim. Nobody wants to help me. Can't you see how bad I feel because nobody wants to help me? Get, you don't see how much pity I want from you? That's not what God's talking about. Do you want to be made whole? Or do you want to keep feeling bad for yourself? Answer the question, please. Stop with the excuses. I'm, I'm not trying to pick on you. I'm sharing scripture. I'm sharing reality because we go through this. All of our lives we go through certain aspects of where we feel, oh man, I wish, I wish, oh I just wish it was, oh Lord, why, why don't you, and God is saying to us, do you want to be made whole? Stop with the excuses. Stop wanting to stay stuck in your bad circumstances. Do I really want to get free? He's waiting for an angel, and Jesus is standing there. What's better, an angel or Jesus? Do you see where we are in life? I don't get visits from angels. But I talk to the Lord every day. I'm not talking about fervent prayer and on my knees. I'm usually in bed because of my back. But I talk to him every day, every day. In the morning, before I get out of bed, I talk to him. When I go to bed, I talk to him. I think he's tired of me talking to him. Because I'm saying to him, change, please change. I want some change. I don't want to stay stuck in my circumstance. I really want to get free from where I am I want to get to where I'm supposed to be. That's what this scripture is about. It's not about a lame man. He's the significant person in the story, yes. So, Jesus cuts him off. 
He's, he's giving all of his pity, pity excuses in verse 7, and Jesus cuts him off in verse 8. I'm, I love it. I love it. Okay? Verse 8. Jesus said to him, oh, I feel so bad for you. Don't you just want God to say to you, Nick, oh, Nicky boy, I feel so bad for you, son. Don't you just want to hear that? Don't you want to feel him pat you on the back like when we were babies, you know, like you did with Becca when she was, oh, honey, I love. Is that what you want to hear? Is that what makes you tick? Is that going to strengthen you so that you go to work tomorrow or wherever you got to go? That little pat on the back. Is that going to give you what God wants you to have so you can deal with tomorrow's issues? Get up, idiot. He didn't say that. The Italian said that. Get up. Pick up your pallet and walk and stop complaining. I'm adding to the scripture. I'm allowed to do that because I'm Italian. Get up. Get out of that circumstance. Stop moaning. Stop groaning. Stop with the self-pity. Get up. Get up. Pick up your pallet and walk. Jesus cut him right off. I got news for you. Now, as much as God loves us, and you know that, okay, there will be points in time where he's going to look at you and going to say, stop. Just shut your big mouth and listen. He's going to do that. Are you going to shut your big mouth and listen? Are you going to get up from those circumstances? Are you going to pay attention to what he's saying to you? Not what the preacher's saying, what the word is saying. Are you going to listen to his command? Because if you listen to his command, you will start a new journey in life. And some of you are sitting here this morning. I don't know who you are. I, don't go, I never get personal with you. I don't dig into your past. But some of you are sitting here this morning. You need a new direction in life, and God is here to give it to you. Somebody say amen. amen. I don't want to stay where I am. I don't want to stay in my self-pity. I want to pick up my bed. I want to walk. I want to exchange what I'm doing. Go to John 3.16, because everybody knows John 3.16, but you don't. Now, that wasn't a nice thing for me to say, was it? <clears throat> we memorized John 3.16, didn't we, as kids? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's what it says. That's what it says. See, change that Jesus is offering him is equal to salvation. For God so loved the world, we've, we've made that basic understanding. That's a basic foundation. God loves the world. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you've come from. I don't care what your background was. I don't care, and neither does God. God loves everybody in the world. The problem is everybody in the world does not love him back. That's the problem. It isn't God's problem. God is saying, pick up your bed and walk, and he's saying, you know, I can't get there because everybody jumps in ahead of me. But that's not John 3.16. God loves you. Well, pastor, you don't know me very well. No, I don't. You don't know the mistakes I made. No, I don't. I don't want to know. It's none of my business. You know why? Because it's his business. 
He already knew that. Before you ever made the mistake, he loved you. He looked at you and said, ah, another mistake, but I, I love him. And someday, he's going to see me, and he's going to understand how much I love him, and it's going to change his life. That's what the scripture's about. It's not about a man lying by a pool. It is, but it's far deeper than that. Do I want to pick up my bed? Do I want to see what John 3.16 says? God loves the world. That's me. That's me. Messed up like I was. Messed up like all of us were. God loves us. You mean I don't have to get better first before God? You'll never get better good enough. For God to say, oh, I better start loving him or her. That doesn't work. God loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He said to Jesus, before the foundation of the earth, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, were having Starbucks on the, par- on, on, on the patio. A sea of glass, the beautiful mansions that God lives in. And God the Father said to God the Son, you know, <clears throat> we're going to create Adam and Eve, but they're going to fail. And Jesus said, yeah, I know. Holy Spirit said, yeah. And God the Father said, we've got to figure out a way to help them get back. And Jesus said, yeah, we better figure out something. Holy Spirit said, well, the three of us together, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God, Trinity, we ought to figure out something. And God the Father says, yeah, I'll tell you what. Son, Jesus, yeah. How about if I ask you to go to the cross and die for Jacob? And Jesus says, Jacob? Me? Die for, are you kidding me? He didn't say that. Jesus said, yo, you mean Jacob? Yo. Heatherson? Yeah, Heatherson. You want me to die for Jacob? God said, yeah, I need you to do that. The Holy Spirit says, yeah, Jesus. And Jesus said, I'll do it. He gave his only begotten son. His son said, yes, I'll do it. That whoever, now, Jacob, if you will believe in what God has just done for you, you shall not perish, but you will have everlasting life. That's what that scripture means. That's what God is offering this man beside the pool. He can't get up and walk around until Jesus says, get up. And in that moment, everything changed in that man's life. He went from being a nobody to being a somebody in the Lord. He went from being, quote unquote, a sinner to a Saint in God, you understand what I'm saying here? None of us are saints, but you understand the process, okay? In an instant of time, this man received everything he needed, and now he's walking. I have a question. He's walking. Who's watching? Oh. Everybody's watching you now, Jacob. Because you were lying by that pool. You couldn't get up. Now you're running around and you're doing your little jig. You ever see him do a jig? He's just, you know. And they're seeing you and they're saying, what happened to Jacob? They're looking at you. They're looking at me. They know where we came from, Rick. They understand the past. Because some of your buddies remember you way back when. And now you're suddenly not way back when. You've changed since way back when. 
Somebody's watching this guy now. What about the other folks by the pool? <laughs> Isn't that the lame man? Did he just get up? Did he, get his, did he put that pellet? Can't be him. Can't, well, let me, let me take another look. It is him. It is him. By golly, it's Jacob. I, I recognize him now. Everybody is watching what God wants to do in your life. Everybody. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter how young you are, how old you are, how good looking you are, like me, or how, I mean, never mind about Gary. Never mind. Never mind. God is looking at us because he wants them to look at us. And he wants them to see the change in us. Am I making any sense? They're watching. I'm walking now. You never saw me walk before. I'm walking now. You never saw me jumping up and down for joy. I'm jumping up and down for joy now. All you saw was me laying by that pool, crying all the time because nobody would help me. How good does it feel to walk? Gary, I'll bet he told everybody how good it felt. I'll bet he ran up and down that pool saying, look at me, look at me. I'm just, uh, can, can you see the picture? Do you understand the attitude? Somebody came along and said, pick up your pallet and walk. Jesus comes along in our lifetime, in our lifestyle. He knows exactly what you're going through. He knows why you're going through it. He knows why you messed up here, why you messed up there, why I messed up here, 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 and everywhere. And he comes along and says, my daddy loved you so much, I was willing to die for you. Now I'm walking. <clears throat> it's called salvation. <clears throat> People will see the change. <laughs> How good does it feel to walk? Well, we have a problem, an instant problem in verse 16 of uh, the, going back to chapter 5. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. I'm sorry, go back to verse 10. My fault, my fault. The Jews were saying to the man who was cured, it is the Sabbath, it is not permissible for you to carry your pallet. I don't understand that. I mean, even, I understand the laws, but I cannot understand that verse. Is it possible that any of those Jews recognize that man? If they did, I'd like to slap him up the side of the head, wouldn't you? Come on, come on. Be, 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 be honest with me. Wouldn't you just like to slap him up? What's wrong with you? You saw that man lying down, 38 years he's been sick. He's jumping up and down, and you're concerned because he's carrying his pallet on the Sabbath? What is wrong with you? That's the problem with the Jewish nation who rejected Jesus. They wanted law. They did not want grace. They did not want mercy. I've got news for you. We're not living under the law. We're living under the grace of Jesus Christ. And I'm not here to pick on you and say, why are you doing that stupid thing? You should know, but no, 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 no. Walk some more. Jump up and down some more. Dance some more. Sing some more. Do whatever it was you couldn't do before because that's the grace of God living through you and strengthening you day by day by day. I don't know whether any of these Jews recognized that man. I think they did. You can't be by that pool all those years 
and not be recognized by some of those. But the change became a personal thing. Okay? Why aren't the Jews rejoicing? Go, to, go with me to Acts chapter 7. And you've, you've read this scripture before, but you need to see the mindset of the Jewish people when it came to Jesus Christ and his followers. In Acts <clears throat> chapter 7, verse 54 through 60, it's the story about Stephen being stoned. And he'd been preaching, Stephen had been preaching, telling these Jews what had happened to him and what Jesus meant and why, etc. And it says this, now when they heard this, Stephen, they were cut to the quick. He, he got into them. His message was so real, it was bothering them. They were cut to the quick, and they began gnashing their teeth. I, I don't understand this. Here's this man with the glory of God all over him, sharing with these Jews who are just stuck in the law, and they're gnashing their teeth at him because they can't stand what he's saying. Go ahead. <clears throat> being, but being full of the Holy Spirit, Stephen, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Stephen, Behold, I see the heavens open up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Stop there for a moment. That's Stephen's personal, personal feeling and personal evaluation of Jesus Christ. What is your personal evaluation of Jesus? Now, maybe you've never seen Jesus sitting at the right or standing at the right hand. I, I understand. But this is his personal review of what Jesus Christ means to him. What is your personal review? What did he do for you that is so significant that if I didn't know God and you shared that with me, my life might change? Where did you come from? What, what has God spared you from? Let me go on. I see the heavens open up. But they cried, I see the heavens open up, and I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Okay? But they, the Jews, cried out with a loud voice, covered their ears. I don't want to hear what you got to say. Rushed at him with one impulse. When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named... What? What's his name? Can it be? Can it be that the worst guy on the planet at that time in terms of hating Jesus, Saul, can it be that he just saw a man being stoned to death? And can it be that that same man, Saul, who saw this man, Stephen, being stoned to death, can it be that the same man is going to be turned around and come to Jesus and be the greatest writer in the New Testament? What is the change in your life? What can it bring? When they'd driven him out, they laid their robes at the feet of a man named Saul. They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, don't heal me. I feel the pain. I, hear, I feel the stones. But my time is up. Lord Jesus, just kind of take me home. Receive my spirit. Then, falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Wait a minute. Give me a break. I'm an Italian. You want me to say that? Lord, do not hold this sin. They're killing me. Come on, Jesus slapped them upside the head. Just, just. Lord, 
This is what Christ does for you. He changes your life completely. Completely. And this man who's being killed is saying, God, don't hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. What kind of change do you think God wants to make in your life, sir, madam, young man, young lady? And if you let him make that change, what do you think it will do not only for you, but for others who need to see the change in you? See, it will not surprise you. I know it won't. All your buddies, no matter who you are, know exactly where you've been. Because you've been with them. You went out and did this, you did it with them. You went out where you're supposed, not, you're supposed to not go and you did it anyway and they were with you. They know who you are. And when you take the attitude of Stephen, who recognizes that God's about to take him home, he's saying, God, don't hold it against them. Just love them like you loved me because now I know where I'm going. I'm going to be dead in a moment and I'm coming right into your presence. And I'm going to be so happy. When I get there. See, we don't know how long we're going to live. Hello? We don't have that data. But I know how long Jesus is going to live for eternity. And I know that if I come to him, I give my life to him, and I let him take over my life, I pick up my palate and walk and get out of that nonsense. If I do that, that I'm going to live with him for eternity. That's what salvation's about. Salvation's not coming to church, putting your money in the, in the basket. That's, that's part of the process. Salvation is this personal thing that you run into him, and he says to you, pick up your pallet and walk. In other words, get rid of the garbage in your life. The man explained in verses 11 through 14, and I'm going to close now. The man explained to the Jews, because he didn't know who, who healed him. He answered them, he who made me well was the one who said, pick up your pallet and walk. They said, this man who said, do you pick up your pallet and walk? But the man who was healed did not know who it was for Jesus that slipped away. And there was a crowd in that place. Afterward, I'm going to zero in on this for a second. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, behold, you've become well. Now, he could have stopped right there. He didn't. I'm sorry. You've become well. Do not sin anymore. So that nothing worse happens to you. You're now well. You're not who you used to be. There's been a change in your life. I remember that night, 16 years of age. I remember kneeling at the altar. I remember it. My wife kneeling next to me. She wasn't even my girlfriend then. She was a year younger. I didn't like her. She didn't like me. But then she saw that short, dark, ruggedly handsome Italian, and she just couldn't help herself. Don't laugh. You know it's true. I remember that night. On the other side of me was, was another girl that was my age. We all went to school together. Okay. We were all friends. But I didn't like her, my wife, and she didn't like me. 
But I remember, see, don't sin anymore that nothing worse happens to you. In other words, you've changed. I helped your change. I inaugurated your change. Through me, you have now changed. Stay that way. Don't go back to that pallet on the floor by that pool. That's not where you belong anymore. You've changed. You need to be walking around and, cha- and happy and dancing and all because you've changed. Stop with the old life. Because I don't want something worse to happen. Go to John chapter 8, verse 10 and 11. You'll know this scripture, and I'm just about through. In this particular chapter, John chapter 8, Jesus is dealing with the woman who was caught. Remember her? John? She was caught in the act of adultery. I mean, now, how much worse can it be? Think about it. Use your brain. And the the scribes and the Pharisees caught her. And they grabbed her. They didn't grab the guy. They grabbed her and brought her to Jesus and threw him at his feet. And they said to Jesus, we know what she did. We caught her in the very act of adultery. You know what Moses says, don't you? Moses said we should stone her. What do you say, Jesus? Remember that? And Jesus just looks at them and doesn't say a word. Chapter 8 of John. Jesus kneels down and he's writing something in the ground on, on the sand. He's not paying any attention to them. And he said to them, well, he that's without sin, let him cast the first stone. You remember that? See, we need these questions. He that's without sin, let him cast the first stone. Well, (laughs) are you kidding me? Gary looked at Sim. Sim looked at, what's his name over here, Childs? They all looked at Nick. They're looking at each other, Gary. And you know what Nick is saying? Gary can't throw the first stone. That's what they're saying. He that's without sin, let him throw the first stone. Am I right? Those guys looked at each other and said, you can't do that. You can't do that. You can't do that. You can't do that. Why? Because they all sinned. And one one by one, they just left. They left. Remember that? Okay. Straightening up, Jesus gets up now, and Jesus said to this woman, woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, no one, Lord. They're not there. She had a right to be condemned. They caught her in the very act of adultery. Please understand that. He knows who you are. He knows what you've done. And he's got a place for you alongside of him if you give your life to him. No one, Lord. Jesus said, I don't condemn you either, period. No, 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 no period. I do not condemn you either. Go. From now on, hello, from now on, I've touched your life. I've gotten you off of that pallet. You're no longer by the pool. I've cleansed you. I've taken all the sin. I've I've hung on the cross. From now on, sin no more. He forgave her of everything, Jesus. Jesus will forgive us of everything. I don't care what it is. As long as you are brave enough to say to Jesus, 
I'm sorry. I've done wrong. He knows what you did. He, 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 know, he knew what I needed when I, at 14, was kneeling at that altar. I didn't have to tell him what a bad boy I was, although I was a very perfect boy. Stop the old life. I don't want something worse for my life or for your life. I want you to be better and better in the Lord. I want you to grow up in the Lord. I want you to be strong in the Lord. I want you to be able to grab hold of someone else, Jacob, who's about ready to fall into a pit, and you grab hold and say, no, you don't have to fall into that pit. I've been there, and Jesus helped me. Let me help you. That's what this is about. That's what life in church is all about. That's what Christianity is about. That's what Jesus is all about. Well, stop the old life, embrace the new life. The devil doesn't want you to be happy, period. He doesn't want you healed, period. He wants you bound by sin, and he's good at that. He wants to wrap you up in sin, okay? But Jesus will come along in your life, and he will say to you, pick up your bed and get out of here. Pick up your bed and start a new life. Pick up your bed and don't be the old guy that you used to be. Pick up your bed and get away from the garbage that brought you here to this sick place. Pick up your bed. And the man listened to him, finally. The scripture says he picked up his bed. I don't see him walking away. I see him dancing. If I, that had been me, I'd have been dancing all over the place. I'd have been shouting about Jesus. I'd have been saying, I'm new, I'm healed, I'm no longer the person I used to be. Now, God doesn't expect you to take out a, an advertisement in the paper and say, I'm no longer the guy I used to be. No, no. What he's looking for is someone who's saying, I'm willing to pick up my bed, Lord. I'm willing to say, I'm sorry. I'm willing to say, forgive me of all my sins. I don't have to, I don't have to enumerate them because you already know. I don't have to go tell the preacher how bad I... That's not what we do. This is between you and God. This is not meant for embarrassment. I don't need to know how bad you are. I know how bad you are because you're as bad as I was. Maybe I was worse. All he's saying to you, to me, is pick up your bed. Get out of here. Get out of the mess that you're in, and I'll take care of you. I'll walk with you. I'll grab your hand, and you and I together We'll start a new life together. You won't be alone now, Sim. He, we're not alone now. We know that. Something's happened to us. We're not alone. He's with us. Young people, listen, young people especially, you don't have to be alone. And you're the ones that the devil is after. Trust me. All you young people in here, you're the one that the devil is after. Because he doesn't want you to grow up and be strong in the Lord. He wants you to be weak. Uh-uh. Because Jesus is here saying to all of us, pick up your bed and walk. Amen? Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Your word, not mine, yours. Thank you, Lord, for helping us to see how much you love us. Thank you for letting us see how valuable we are to you. And if we'll just recognize how valuable you should be to us. We'll walk together in this life. 
and you'll use us. And together, we'll let others know how wonderful you are. Keep your eyes closed for just a moment, please. I never know what's going on in a service. I never know who's there. And I always intend to keep things private. If you today, if you honestly know that you need Jesus as your Savior, I want to pray with you. I don't want to embarrass you. I I don't do those things. I just want to pray with you. I just need to know that you're here. If you're here, that you really say, you know, Pastor, I really need to, I need to pick up my bed and walk. I need Jesus in my life. Just raise your hand quickly. I'll see your hand, and I'll pray with you. Anyone at all. Maybe every one of us knows Jesus. That's fine. If that's true, that's fine. I just want to give you that opportunity to make that commitment to the Lord. You don't need to tell anybody who you are, what you were, what you did. God already knows that. But you're saying in your heart, Jesus, I need to ask you for forgiveness. Just raise your hand, and I'll pray here in a moment. Anyone at all? Anyone? Anyone? All right, no hands. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for these beautiful people. I pray, Lord, from this moment on that everyone in this room will understand this scripture like they've never understood it before. We refuse to lay by that pool. We refuse to lay on that pallet one minute longer. We're standing up in the name of Jesus because you've forgiven us of everything. Now let us, when we leave this building, Let us go knowing we're clean in the Lord, that day by day you love us and forgive us. Strengthen us, strengthen us, I pray, in Jesus' name. And everybody said. Now, if I can pray for you privately, I'm going to stay up here for a few moments. The rest of you, come on, please go out in the kitchen and have your beautiful steak and lobster that's out there. You mean there's no steak and lobster out there, Nick? Whatever's out there. But I'm going to stay here. If I can pray with you, just come on up and talk to me. I'll be glad to share with you and pray with you for whatever you need. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here. And we look forward to seeing all of you next week when the superintendent will be here. God bless you.